This podcast is gold. Basketball gold. You're tuned into the best Cleveland Cavaliers podcast in all the land. Basketball gold. Hosted by Mike Fratello and Jeff Phelps. This is Basketball Gold with Fratello and Phelps. I'm Jeff Phelps. My day job is working at 92.3 The Fan, doing sports talk in Cleveland from 10 to 2. Mike was gracious enough to be on with us last week, and it was the day that Brittany Griner was released from the Russian prison camp with the prisoner swamp. And Mike, you spoke about that, and we didn't have a ton of time to go in depth on it. We do here. And, and something that follows with your experience in the old Soviet Union. And first of all, the basketball world was watching, the whole world was, but everybody in basketball really paying attention to what was going on with Brittany Griner. And I know the basketball world thrilled to have her back in the United States out of a Russian prison camp. That was a, a an unbelievable situation. And thank God for everybody that it's resolved and I know the basketball world was just kind of on pins and needles about that whole thing while she was over there and things were being negotiated. Thank goodness it's over. What an incredible display of unity I felt uh, throughout our country, uh, particularly in you know, the sports world, uh, following Brittany, what was going on, uh, the NBA backing and supporting uh, the WNBA uh, and then the NBA as well, uh, consistently reaching out and using the platform that they had uh, to let the world know uh, that everyone had felt here that uh, the crime did not deserve what the punishment was, and therefore to sentence her to nine years imprisonment and then move her from where she was imprisoned uh, to the camp that they sent her to, which, according to reports, is not supposed to be the the best place or the place you want to spend nine years of your sentence. So the fact that our government was able to negotiate her release, uh, and it was costly for us, but yeah. she's an American citizen, and we do what we have to do to make it work. And I guess when the negotiations got to the point where Russia said, that's it, we're going no more. It's no two, three people for one person. This is what we'll give you back. And this is what we expect to get back. And at that point, President Biden and his staff made the decision that this is the time for us to make that decision that, yes, we'll do that deal. and Let's get Brittany back here in the United States. It's hard for us to really understand uh, how this can happen. But as more and more people kept on saying uh, what their opinions were about this. It was that when you're dealing with Putin and he plays by his rules, you don't have a whole lot to say when they're holding, okay, one of our citizens there in their camp. So I thought our athletes, I thought our league, our commissioner, used the platform as best they could to let everyone know we're not forgetting about it. It's not like, okay, this is six months later, it's kind of gone by out of our minds right now. That wasn't the case. Uh, this was something that was consistently mentioned, consistently brought up. People consistently talked about it. So hopefully let Brittany know that the people back here in the United States care about what's happening to you. And we all hope that we can do something about it. Mike, a lot of WNBA players in the WNBA offseason have played in Russia. A lot of 
a lot of male players have played in Russia and guys that we've seen in the NBA. If you're a player, are you thinking twice about it? I'm, I'm guessing you thought twice about it before all this happened. Are you thinking three times about it now? I mean, would, would you go do that? Or would you think, you know, I'm going to go to the G League. I'm going to go to Spain. I'm going to go do something else. For those who might be listening uh, and watching our podcast that uh, may not have the background of understanding how all this took place. If you go back uh, years ago, we didn't have a WNBA like it is WNBA is right now. So our best players who came out of college, the female basketball players would go to other countries, take their basketball skills there and play in other countries and different countries are kind of ranked as higher levels, middle levels or lower level countries. And they would make money there uh, to subsidize whatever they might be doing after they came out of college playing college basketball. And then when the WNBA uh, took, you know, giant steps to move forward, our ladies that were participating in the WNBA then would still go over after their season was done and play in the season of whatever country they decided to go to to make more money because the WNBA in the beginning was only paying so much and they had some rule that one player on a team could be like the star player and that's who got the biggest amount of money. I think it may have started out at $250,000 if I remember, uh, Jeff, if that was correct, but only one girl on a team could get that kind of money. And then the other ones were always hustling to make more money uh, to be able to do what they'd like to do with their life. So going over, and in the end, the WNBA season is not as long as an NBA season. So, you know, the wear and tear is not as bad. You, you need more basketball and you need more money. Right. So going over to Russia was one of the places that you went to because it was very competitive. It was a very good level of basketball. And they paid very good money to the right. girls who went over. So same thing would happen with the men who couldn't make it in the NBA uh, once they got done or the, once they were cut, let's say, from an NBA uh, exhibition season, they weren't going to make the final roster, they would go seek out the best countries. And over the years, it's evolved because way back, Jeff, the number one place to go outside of the NBA was actually Italy. Italy had the best basketball league, the best competition, yeah. and paid the, the most money. What happened is the Italian government got selfish, got greedy, and put a tax on the players' monies oh, wow. over there. I think it was either 60 or 65% of what they earned went back to the government. And the players said, why would we come here and play when they could go to other countries who were also playing and developing their leagues like Spain, like Greece, like Turkey, uh, Russia? And that's what happened. The Italian league, which was the best outside of the NBA at one time, started to slide down the ladder and these other countries started to move up the ladder. So you'd have players that would go over, didn't make it in the NBA, oftentimes because their season ended because uh, before the NBA season ended, you would see teams pick up a guy that had just come back from playing over in Turkey or playing over in Greece. And he was back with maybe a month ago in the NBA season, three weeks ago, and teams would sign and pick him up if they needed somebody. Uh, down the stretch. So that's kind of the background of what had taken place with all that. In 1988, Mike, and, and you're the 
you couldn't be the more perfect guy to talk about this situation in the international. In the summer of 1988, you're the head coach of the Atlanta Hawks, and your Hawks team, part of your team, went to the Russia, the Soviet Union at the time, for what three exhibition games against some type of Soviet national team. How did that come about? Because I can't even imagine now taking an NBA team and saying, or, or parts of a team and saying, we're going over in the summer and we're playing games and we're representing our country. It was kind of a, a it hadn't been done before, Mike, and you guys did it. How did it come about? It's an incredible story. And, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe Khrushchev was the president at that time of the Soviet Union. I think that's right. My Russian history is a little lacking, I will say. Yeah, I need to go back and read my Russian history books. Um, however, um, Ted Turner, the owner of the Atlanta Hawks, who had founded this station that was going to run for 24 hours a day and was going mm. to have a lot of news for people to listen to. What do you uh, know? It was a fledgling <laughs> operation in the beginning. Yeah. It was trying to borrow money from everywhere to keep this thing afloat. Uh, by the way, it's now known as CNN and headline news and TNT in the sports world. And, NBA, you know, NBA basketball is tied into TV, that. CBS. So, yeah, exactly. True TV yeah. is part of that, the whole thing. So, so that worked. Started, <laughs> that worked. Yes. Ted had started uh, something called the Goodwill Games. And I remember he asked me the first year, would I go over when our season was over and said, will you go over and broadcast? I'd never been in broadcasting before. But my owner asked me, would I go over to his games, the Goodwill Games? And this was an effort. You know, Ted felt an, an effort on his part to make friends out of the Soviet Union and the United States with that Cold War going on. And I said, of course, if he wanted me to go over. So I wound up going over to broadcast the world championship, which happened to come down to the Soviet Union versus the United States. And my two partners broadcasting that were, it's incredible to think about it, but, um, a guy named Rick Barry, who wasn't a bad basketball player for the Golden State Warriors. That's a fact. And uh, perhaps uh, one of the greatest ever to play in the NBA, Bill Russell. Wow. And those were the three of us broadcasting the game. And we were in row, whatever the letter is that comes after Z, That's <laughs> that was our row where we were broadcasting from. <laughs> and I'll never forget, with two minutes to go, the producer in our headset said, Russell Fertello, go down to the court and wait down there till the game ends. And if the United States wins, it was like a tie game back and forth the whole game. If the United States wins, we're going to interview each player on the United States team. Each? Rick Power, you stay up on top and call the last two minutes of the game. Did Rick call the game, Mike? Was Rick, Rick, the Rick called the game. Okay. Bill and I walk all the way down to the floor and they said to us, oh, by the way, you won't be able to hear us in your ear down on the floor. We have no connection down there. So there's going to be a guy kneeling down that will be giving you hand signals. Look for him and follow him if you win the game. So here's the great story, Jeff. We, we get down on the floor. We're waiting. The game ends. United States wins. I think it was like 51 to 50 or 50, 49. 
the final score, teams jumping up and down. They're grabbing all the USA players, lining them up. So I said to Bill, look, we'll just go back and forth. I'll do one, you do one, I'll do one, you do one. So it gives you a chance to look at the next guy and think, you know, what you might want to ask him. Yeah. So I said, you want to go first? So he goes, no, 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 you you go first. I said, okay. So I'm looking for the guy on his knee. I find him with his hand, and he's like this, five, five seconds. And he goes, five, four, three, two, one, boom. Here comes the first guy, and I, it's Muggsy Bogues, all five foot three, five foot four of Muggsy Bogues. I said, Muggsy Bogues, my man, congratulations, Muggsy, winning the championship. What a great performance. And we talk and talk and get done. I go, Bill, over to you. So Bill's got the next guy. Then Bill throws it back to me. I've got the third guy. Well, just before the tournament, a player named Steve Kerr for the United States, who you might mm -hmm. recognize the name, blows his knee out and he cannot participate. At the last second, they added a player to the USA squad. Well, we weren't following every game. We went over there to call the finals. Sure. Now, when I get done with number three, I go, Bill, back to you. And Bill looks at the next guy. And it happened to be the guy who replaced Steve Kerr. And Bill had no idea who it was. I had no idea who it was. And Bill goes, nah, keep it. And he throws it right back to me again. And thank goodness that that player was a, a super class act because he knew we were struggling. And without moving his lips, he did a great job of saying, Sean Elliott. And oh, I nice. hear him say Sean Elliott, and I went, Sean Elliott, welcome to Team USA. Thank you for replacing Steve Kerr. And we did the interview and then moved on. That's but great. Bill and I laughed so hard. When that was over, we got done. I said, Bill, I'm going to kill you for doing that. He said, I didn't know who it was. I said, I didn't either. And what are you know the funny moments of that interview at the end? That's awesome. So that was the beginning of the relationship with the Soviet Union, with Ted Turner. And then you fast forward, okay, when I'm coaching the Hawks, what yeah. happened after that?